Now, we focused on this last week. I had focused this last week over the fact that we had a problem last Sunday. And that was that we didn't have fuel in our tank. And it was kind of a frustrating week for me. I mean, I told somebody yesterday, I was at my grandson's third birthday party, and I told somebody yesterday that I had had a pretty stressful eight or ten days. I mean, I had, I had, and I didn't go into all the details, but I had to deal with uh, pressures at home while I was trying to work at the camp for the children, for the teen winter retreat. In addition to that, I came home and we had a member of our congregation who had a major health issue and ended up in ICU. In addition to that, I then had problems with the church fuel tank running out of fuel a week later after we'd already put money, gas into the fuel tank. And then I thought we put enough in to get us through the next couple of days. And then Sunday morning we didn't have fuel again. And then finally, then we had problems with water not working. And then we had problems with water not working. And it just, it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. And I, I, I was praying, God, what do you want me to say to my people this morning? How do you want me to encourage them and prayerfully um, give them words that are going to lift them up and help them to walk through this coming week? And the Lord said, read to them out of your journal. Okay. So here you go, folks. I'll, I'll be as I'll be. I don't think there's anything in here that I should be upset about, or you'd be upset about. But I'll, I will leave some names out just to protect the innocent. Um, but this is my entry from this past Friday. Okay, so just two days ago. What a week this has been. Last Saturday, February third, the church ran out of fuel for the boiler. We had just put a hundred gallons of fuel in the tank on the Saturday before. Less than a week later, we ran out of fuel again. So I put 10 gallons of fuel in the tank. Then at 6.30 in the morning on Sunday, a woman called me from the church to tell me that we didn't have heat. I prayed and I truly felt you tell me, God, that I was to cancel the services and to hold an emergency board meeting. So we met as a board at 10 a.m. And we prayed and we discussed the challenge that we were facing. And when all was said and done, we had $500 available to buy fuel and a promise of a private purchase in the amount of $500 towards the church's fuel account. All total, we had $1,000 that we could use to buy fuel for the church's boiler. Then by the end of the meeting, we found out that the water pump for the parsonage had frozen. Okay, so I called someone from the church and he came over and he turned the pump off and then a couple members of the board told me that they had brought 10 gallons of fuel when they came to the meeting that they wanted to put into the boiler tank. So. I asked one of the other board members and another member of our congregation who was there if they would put fuel into the tank and get the boiler going again. (sighs) So after a short while, the house water was finally flowing again and all was right with the world. Happy face. Then on Tuesday, I get a phone call from that same woman who called me Sunday morning telling, calling me to tell me that the water at the church was now just a trickle. She had apparently called on Monday, but hadn't heard back from one of the board members. And so she now was calling me. I went over to the church and I found two things. One, the well water line was indeed at a trickle. Two, the city water line 
which is in the kitchen, was flowing freely. Best guess? The line from the well had frozen. I called a member of our, our, of our board. I didn't get a response. Later, I got a response from them, and he told me to call another member of the church who had better, uh, better experience with plumbing. And so I called that member of the church who suggested turning up the thermostat in one zone in the church to try and thaw out that water line. So after eight to nine hours of having that one zone turned up, nothing happened. There was no success. So I turned up the thermostats across all of the church to 90 degrees. Hopefully that would provide a continuous flow of heat and finally thaw that pipe. So the next morning, which was Wednesday around 10 o'clock, I went over and checked and the pipe was still not flowing. So I called that member of our congregation who knows about plumbing and I asked him for some input and he said, ah, just leave the sanctuary and the fellowship hall thermostats turned up and just wait. It's all you can do. He even came by later to look things over and said, yeah, it's, that's the best we can do. So all day Thursday, we had the heat on. I mean, all day Wednesday, we had the heat on. Then on Thursday, I went over to the church. There was still no water. I started seeking advice from the board. I was thinking we needed to call a plumber. A member of the board called me and said, look, just call the plumber and send her the bill. But before doing so, I began watching YouTube videos and I discovered that there's a process of thawing frozen pipes using a sump pump in a five gallon bucket and a small diameter hose. I even called Bob, a friend of mine who concurred, who concurred with this idea. And I called, so I called him and talked with him about the problem. And he said, yeah, I've even done that in the past. Go ahead and try it. So I put together a parts list and then I went out to the well house to have one final look at all of the plumbing. I wanted to find the best spot to cut into the plumbing doing the least amount of damage. And lo and behold, as I looked at all the plumbing connections, I noticed that a shutoff valve was closed. I opened it and I heard a sudden rush of water go through the pipes. I went inside the church and I opened up each faucet one at a time and bled the air and dirt out of the out of the lines, and we had water flowing again. Wow! Four days of aggravation, frustration, fear, and even the beginning of despair. I had even, for a brief moment, contemplated leaving the church. In an instant, it was all gone. I have no idea how or why the valve got shut. I have no idea who did it. I just know that that one thing caused a lot of distractions from ministry that could have and should have taken place. Father, I truly believe that this happened according to your plan. I believe that there is a lesson in this for me or for the board or for the congregation. I don't know. I just don't know what that lesson is. Today, my devotional reading took me to Proverbs chapter 9 and 1 Corinthians chapters 1 through 4. And each of these passages deal with a comparison between godly wisdom and foolishness. Corinthians makes the comparison between men's wisdom and godly wisdom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 25, it says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that he presented the gospel to the Corinthians in a purposeful way. 
so that their faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Father, please reveal to me the lesson of this week's events. What are you trying to teach me through all of this? To God alone be the glory. So that's what I wrote. Now, as I was trying to prepare for this morning, um, God led me to another passage of scripture, and it was in the book of Numbers. It's Numbers chapter 21, let's see where it's at, 22, all the way through the end of 24. Now, I don't have time this morning to read us three full chapters in the Bible, so let me just give you a synopsis. It deals with a man who is known as a prophet. It deals with a king, which was an enemy of the people of Israel. And it deals with a donkey that learned how to talk. The prophet's name was Balaam. The king's name was Balak. And we were never given the donkey's name. The story goes something like this. Balak wants to defeat the people of Israel. Balak knows that he doesn't have enough army to be able to defeat this huge population without something causing them to be weak. And so he goes to this prophet and he says, I need you to curse this people so that I fight about against them and they will lose. Now, King Balak did not himself go. I mean, that would be beneath him. He sent an entourage to this prophet, Balaam. And this entourage goes and says to Balaam, we hear that you're uh, a person who's able to do some really cool stuff. And so we're asking you, would you please come and curse our enemies? And Balaam says, I can only do what God tells me to do. And so Balaam says, let me think about it. Let me pray about it. And then he comes back. He says, nope, can't do it. Sorry. See you later. And the entourage leaves and goes back to King Balak. King Balak's like, what? And so he sends even greater people in his Court. It's kind of like sending the Secretary of State the first time, and then that gets rejected, so you send the Vice President the second time. Somebody higher up. And so the second group of people that show up at Balak's, I mean at Balaam's house, knock on the door, and he's like, what are you guys doing here? I already told you I'm not doing it. No, 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 you don't understand. He's going to make it worth your while. He's going to make it really worth your while. And Balaam literally says to them, well, let me read it to you because I like the way he says this. Uh, in verse, in chapter 22, he says, verse 15, I think it is. Once again, Balak sent princes more in number and more honorable than the ones before. And they came to Balaam and they said, thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do you great honor. And whatever you say to me, I will do. Come, curse these people for me. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Even if Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. So you too, please stay here tonight that I may know what the Lord will say to me. Now listen to what Balaam said, okay? Even if Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord. He didn't say I couldn't go. He said I couldn't go beyond God's command. I cannot do less. I cannot do more. So stay here tonight 
and I'm going to try and divine what God would say. Now, I read some commentaries on this, and, and I was a little bit frustrated because not everybody, not everybody is, 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 uh, is on the same page as they're discussing this, but basically what was being said was, this guy was not necessarily a follower of Jehovah, but he was a prophet who did divination. He was like a magician. He was like a, like a, like, like, like Simon Magus who was in the act, book of Acts, doing magic tricks and conjuring things up for the people. But he honored all gods. So he said, let me go to the God of Israel and see. Now, I don't know that that's, that he wasn't a follower of God. We're not told that. But all I know is that he said, let me go and seek what his will is. And then verse 20. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if you men have, if the men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. And then verse 22 says, but God's anger was kindled because he went. And I stumbled there as I was reading this. I'm like, God, you very clearly told Balaam, go, only do what I tell you to do. And yet he does what you tell him to do and you're mad at him. And we read later on that they, he literally said the pre-incarnate Christ, not just an angel. This was the pre-incarnate Jesus standing there with a sword ready to kill him. I don't understand that, God. He did what you told him to do. He, you said, go with the men. And I was really struggling with that. And as I was reading, I was pointed to 2 Peter chapter 2. So let's just read that real quick. 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 15 and 16. Now, in this section of 2 Peter, Peter is saying, talking about false prophets and false teachers. And in verses 15 and 16, he says, Forsaking the right way, these false teachers and prophets have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. So this tells me that the people of God saw Balaam as not a prophet of God necessarily, but of one who was mad and who was doing wrong and who loved to gain riches. So now let's go back to Numbers chapter 22. Balaam goes in and says, goes to the people and says, I can't, even if he gave me his whole house filled with silver and gold, I can't go unless he lets me go. So stay here tonight and let me discern whether or not I'm allowed to go. And we'll see. We'll hopefully find out. And so then Balaam goes into his place and lights some candles and throws some incense and some dead brats and whatever else he does into his little crystal ball thingy and then comes back and says, I have permission to go. Yes. Now we can think about the price I'm going to be asking for this curse that God is apparently going to let me do. So 
you see, we're not given that in numbers, but we do see in Second Peter that his heart was not right. There was greed in his heart. And he was not doing right, he was doing wrong. And that's why God was angry. Because he was not going to just do what the Lord told him to do, which is what God said in verse 20. Only do what I tell you. God's anger was kindled because God saw his heart as he was going. And he was like, oh, no, 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 no. This is not what we're talking about, buddy. I didn't tell you to go so you could curse these people. I told you to go and only do what I told you to do. So let's look in the rest of the story. And we don't have time again to read all three chapters. But basically, the rest of this story is that every single time Balaam stands up to, quote unquote, pronounce this curse, out comes a blessing. Four times. And Balak's like, the first time he goes, okay, okay, maybe we're in the wrong spot. Let's, let's go to another spot. And they take him to another spot. He says, now you can see him better. See? You can see him better. Now, go ahead and curse him now. And so there's, there's all these sacrifices going on. This is a big, huge production. If you read through it, there's seven altars and seven sacrifices. And this big, huge, long, hour long, hours long production. And then Balaam goes, blessings on these people. And Balaam's like, no! 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 Let's go to another spot. Let's go to another spot where you can see them better. And they literally, four times this happens. And then finally, at the end of chapter 24, we see Balaam went home. And Balak went home. And the people of God were blessed four times. And that's the story. And I was like, what did I learn from that? God, and what does that have to do with reading about my journal? Well, there were four things that I saw that God kind of threw in my face. Number one, do not jump to conclusions. And why do I say that? Well, Balaam was looking for an out. He was looking for the easy way. And he thought he found it. In my case, I walked into that boiler room, that, that, that well house. And I literally looked for an answer. And the answer that I saw was there was a pressure tank right there coming. The, the, the stuff comes up out of the well, goes right into a pressure tank. There's a gauge on the bottom of that pressure tank that said it was like 70 or 60 or 70 pounds of pressure. So I was like, we got water coming out of the well. So it's not that the well itself is frozen up or the line coming from the well is frozen. We've got pressure in that tank. So that means somewhere between this pressure tank and the faucets in the church, we've got a blockage somewhere. I don't know where. Probably we had the problem with the water freezing for the house because it got so cold. Maybe the same thing happened. Oh, we have a water line that's frozen. Now, where in all of that did you hear God clearly show me that we had a water line frozen? Or that I did any testing at all to make sure that the water line was frozen? What I did was I walked into one faucet at the church and turned it on. And nothing was coming out except a little tiny dribble. Water line's frozen. So then I go to this member of our church who happens to know a little bit about plumbing, since I'm not using names. And I say, such and such, we got a frozen water line. What do we need to do? Now, I didn't say to such and such, there's, a, there's pressure at the pressure tank and there's nothing coming out. What do we do? I said, there's a frozen water line. What do we do? Well, thaw it out. 
How do I do that? Well, most logical thing, let's try this. Okay. And every stinking time, I come and turn on the faucet, and there's no water. How in the world is this possible? How can it be that frozen? That's not possible. I guess we just got to keep trying. This is ridiculous. We're burning good fuel. We're wasting a lot of fuel. We're costing this church money we don't have. (coughs) The next thing God told me through all of this. It's an old expression, but it was was right at me. Don't change horses midstream. I was so discouraged and so frustrated over this situation that I was facing. And you heard me say it in my journal. I wasn't lying. I literally contemplated. It didn't just it wasn't just a passing thought. I contemplated saying, you know what? I'm done. This ain't my problem. This is their problem. I'll I'll just find another place to minister. I don't have to deal with this anymore. I'm sick of this mess. I don't get to see my grandkids. I don't get to see my children. My mom and dad have died since I've been here and I wasn't able to be there with them. And my mother-in-law and father-in-law died and I wasn't able to be there with them. I'm sick of this. I want the freedom to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And I don't want to deal with this anymore. 18 people can't support a a $70,000 budget. God, this is ridiculous. I'm going to go someplace where I can be used and have great success and not have to deal with this garbage anymore. All because I jumped to a bad conclusion and didn't see that I could just open up a valve and have the problem solved in 30 seconds. And I allowed all of my stuff and frustration and I listened to the whisper and I didn't just hear it and push it aside, but I let it stay and I let it continue and I chewed on it and it made me even more, it fed, it fed. And I finally had to say, I can't do this, this is stupid, set that aside. But board, you heard me. I was looking for an out. Come on, let me be my vocational pastor. Come on. Let's start this process so we can prove that I can't do this anymore and that you can't do this anymore. Now let's just shut this thing down. You heard me say it, folks. See, there was an errant thought that should have just come in and gone away. But I allowed it to stay. And it began to fester, it began to take root, and it began to germinate, and it began to be negative and despairing and frustrated and agonizing. All because I started from the wrong premise. All because I had the stupid idea that there was a pipe frozen when that wasn't what was going on at all. In addition to that, many, many years ago, my father-in-law, who was a minister in the Church of the Nazarene, who had been my pastor and my mentor, said to me and gave me incredibly wise counsel. He said to me, never make any major decisions when you are sick or worried or distracted. In other words, don't act when you're not at your best. Because if you do those types of changes or make those types of decisions you may be making a bad choice. So, don't change horses midstream. Continue to press through. Get to the other side of it. Whatever it is, just get to the other side of it. 
God's not going to leave you. God's not going to forsake you. God's not up in heaven wringing his hands. Just get to the other side of it. So don't jump to conclusions, Bob. And don't change horses midstream. Just keep going even though it's hard. Number three, do not allow the enemy or the world or even fellow believers dissuade you from doing what you know to be God's will. As God told Balaam in Numbers chapter 22, verse 20, only do what I tell you. Now, why is this here? Why is this one coming out? Because your pastor has had a broken heart since last Sunday's board meeting. Because there has been... Let me back it up a little bit. A number of years ago, close to 10 years ago, we had a little bit of an issue in this congregation where we had people who were getting frustrated with other members of the congregation because they don't even stand up to worship. They don't even raise their hands to worship. They don't even look like they're actively involved in worship. And the ones who were not actively involved with worship were very involved with worship because this is how they worship. They worship sitting down, quietly, writing notes to themselves and to God. This is how they worship. But that's not how I worship. And everyone's supposed to worship the way I worship because that's how you're supposed to worship. And we had an issue that was starting to fester. And thank God it got taken care of and it's no longer an issue. And then a couple of years later, a number of years later, we had a family come to our church who had small children. And one of the kids was pretty loud when she cried. And we had people get frustrated. And people said stuff. And I literally had a member of our congregation stand up in the middle of the church service and walk over to the family and say, shut that kid up. And I was mortified. Because it was just the enemy trying to cause problems. And I am hearing right now this week as, as God has been dealing with my pastor's heart for my people that we have people in our congregation who are burdened and passionate about evangelism. And we have other people in our congregation who are burdened and passionate about intercession. And we have a conflict starting because you're not actually out there evangelizing your congregation, your community. I don't see you out there knocking on doors. I don't see you passing out tracts. I don't see you speaking the word of God to everybody that you meet. And I have had people say, but we, we are on our faces before God every week, lifting up the needs of this congregation and lifting up the community and asking for God to break through. And I literally had word from one of our intercessors this week that said, God broke through in a powerful and mighty way on Thursday night. But you see, there's this dichotomy of thought. This is how it's supposed to be done. No, this is how it's supposed to be done. And there's a potential for the enemy to cause conflict. And do breaking and damage. Because you see, God ordained over 10 years ago that this congregation is going to be 150 fully devoted followers of Christ. And he gave us a plan and we have followed that plan. And we have walked the path he's given us. And we are almost there, folks. We are on the edge. We are beginning to see the beginnings of the assembling of those dead bones in the valley of bones. And God is going to bring life and breathe life into those bodies. Okay? But the enemy is going to do absolutely everything the enemy can do to distract 
to cause issues, to bring about frustration. I had somebody in my congregation last week who sat in my living room weeping because she felt so much remorse that she did not feel like she was doing all that she should have done to reach her neighbors. Well, heavens forbid, this woman I know is a godly woman and she loves her neighbors and she prays for them regularly and I have every confidence that in her way, God has used her over the last 30 years in this community. But she was allowed to feel like she was less than because she wasn't doing it the way she was told by others that that's how you do it. Okay? So hear me. I honor the evangelists. And I honor the intercessors. And I honor the people who are disciplers. And I honor the ones who have physical uh, skill. And it is a family together that God has called together. Each of us having our own gifts and our own skills and our own talents and our own abilities. And we want to make sure that we never, ever, ever say to one, oh, you're not honorable. We need to hide you. Because you're just, you're just, you know, just, you know, this is what we need to be looking at. Okay. Now, hear me. I'm not chewing on anybody. But this has been on my heart for a week. And I've been praying about it. How do I deal with this, God? What do I say? What do I do? And this is what what the Lord said to me. Do not allow the enemy or the world or even your brothers and sisters to dissuade you from doing what you know that you know that you know that God himself told you to do. If God has told you to knock on every door in your community and hand everybody a tract, then you better get up and do it. If God has told you that your job is to get in your face before him every single day and lift up those who are out in the community handing out the tracts, then, then you do that. And if, you're, if God has told you specifically that you need not to be part of either one of those groups, but you have your own specific gift and your own specific mission, then you do that. Now, the issue is, do you know what God has told you to do? Because if indeed I'm wrong... And this person who was weeping in my living room was actually being told by the Holy Spirit of God, yeah, it's time to get up off your lazy butt and stop being afraid to start doing what I'm telling you to do. Then I'm taking my hands off of it and you better take what God is saying to you. But if that's not from the enemy, I mean, if that's not from God, then don't own it. You hear me? Know what God is saying to you. Know what you're supposed to do. Because each one of you are called to this body because you have specific experiences and specific gifts and specific talents and specific thoughts. You have wisdom beyond anything I could ever hope to have in certain areas. It's the same thing with me. I told my wife so many times over the last year, I'm not touching it. It's not my area. Yes, I'm the pastor. Yes, I'm responsible to make sure it gets done, but I'm not touching it. I'm going to let someone who knows what they're doing deal with it. And had we done that this week, we wouldn't have wasted two days worth of fuel in a stupid way, in a stupid, uh, uh, trying to thaw a pipe that wasn't frozen. But it is what it is. And I told the Lord that in my journal. I don't understand why this happened. I don't understand why you allowed it to happen. But I trust that as I'm walking this path that you've laid before me, That you have a reason and you know what it is. And when I get to the other side, you might reveal to me why. And if you don't, that's your business. I'm just going to continue to trust you. The last thing. Okay, so the four things. Don't jump to conclusions. Just keep your eyes focused on whatever's going on and let God, the Holy Spirit, reveal to you the truth. Don't jump to conclusions. Number two. 
Do not, in the middle of your trial, change horses. If God has called you to walk a fire path, then walk that fire path to the end. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Do not listen to the discouraging words. Do not listen to the enemy as the enemy is trying to distract you. Do not take your eyes off of anything but what God has told you to do. Don't allow the enemy, the world, or even fellow believers dissuade you. Just say, this is what I know that God told me to do, and this is what I'm going to do. End of discussion. And then finally, it's been in front of you all morning long. Keep your mind fixed on God and God's purposes. Romans chapter two, 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern, not the pastor, not your best friend, not your Sunday school teacher, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And once you know what is the will of God, walk it. Until he tells you to turn, walk it. Don't let anyone distract you. Don't let anyone tell you you're wrong. Walk it. Let's pray.